Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. This is Erica Slater, and I haven't been recording for a couple weeks because, I don't know, we all been busy and on vacay and everything else. So I'm happy to be back today with Elizabeth McNulty, Megan Crow, Liz Lenevy, and Amy Gunn. Hi, everyone. Hey. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. So today I had an interaction with my paralegal, and I did get her permission to share this, but she came into my office and was kind of doing that outward, you know, stress talking at me or venting about being very worried about upcoming deadlines and wanting to make sure nothing got missed because she was feeling spread very thin and worried about, you know, missing anything coming up. You could just tell that she was kind of racked with anxiety about it and kind of in a space where she was kind of worrying about everything and kind of small things that we're usually handling efficiently on a daily basis. So I kind of looked at her and I said, hey, you know, this is the practice of law and we are going to fail. We will miss things from time to time. But everything you're telling me has told me that you have put systems in place so you can make sure that, you know, these upcoming deadlines are not going to be missed, even if your attention is diverted to, you know, these other projects that you're working on right now. And you kind of saw her, you know, take this big, heavy sigh and her shoulders kind of relax. And she's like, Oh, okay. You tell me that all the time and remembering that makes me feel better. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't think we've visited that in a while. But I was thinking about the fact that I really do live my practice like that. And once I kind of figured out that like failure is part of it and not just the practice of law and figuring out what you're doing in a profession, no matter what it is, but just like as you go through life. I mean, I think a lot of female litigators for better or worse, are very type A people. We've probably been struggling with that word perfect for quite some time and what that has meant in our lives. And if something is not done perfectly or it doesn't go off without a hitch, is that a failure or what does success look like? So as far as that interaction with my paralegal and I, that's really something that I've tried to incorporate into my management style of her because I know that sometimes mounting deadlines and the feeling that she has of being out of control and not on top of everything is very anxiety producing for her as it is for me, quite frankly. But I think I've been there enough times, you know, when you're in trial and you're wondering about what's happening in all of your other cases, you just have to let go a little bit because you can't spread yourself that thin or you can't focus on the task in front of you if you're thinking about how you might miss something and all the other things that are going on in the background. So today we're going to talk a little bit about management styles, the things we've learned that have been successful, uh, times when it maybe wasn't so successful. And I'd like to start with just kind of defining the idea of growth mindset, which is really kind of what I was talking about at the beginning as far as expecting failure. How are you going to use that when it appears versus a fixed mindset? And the thing that I want to start with is there's no one or the other. It's not, you know, black and white, you're either growth mindset or fixed mindset. Everyone kind of has a mix of both, and that's inherent. And every organization and company is going to have a mix of both. 
But my pitch is that a majority growth mindset is going to be more successful long term. So when we talk about growth mindset, it's really the idea that talents are developed through hard work, good strategies, and receiving input from others. So basically, you know, if you're starting a task and you don't know anything about it, having the confidence and knowing that going forward, you can learn it and that you can succeed and you can progress through it, knowing that on day one, you're not going to have all the skills or talents that you need to approach that project or whatever it is. A fixed mindset would be more the idea that talents are innate gifts and that it's either you've either got it or you don't. And when I relate that to thinking about litigators, I think we always talk about kind of, you know, like, do they have a personality for litigation? Or I told someone the other day, like, oh, I was loud and bossy growing up, so everyone told me I should be a lawyer. And that probably has happened to a lot of women. But, you know, when you think about it and think about your colleagues, I know so many people who don't fit that description who are wonderful litigators. So it's very hard to, you know, say, like, you were either born with it or you weren't. But at the same time, when we're talking about fixed mindset, there are certain qualities that you may have that are going to make doing certain aspects of our job or any job for that matter easier, which is kind of more of a fixed mindset thinking. But growth mindset fosters collaboration. It fosters teamwork. And no surprise, fixed mindset fosters competition and finger pointing, which can be really toxic to an environment. If, you know, you're looking at a cast of characters who are your employees and saying that one has it, this one doesn't. One thing I want to point out about growth mindset is it's not to be confused with being flexible or just open minded or like just being positive about everything. It's not, you know, if you're a manager with a growth mindset, you're not a pushover. You're not saying to your employees or people you're managing that everything's going to be okay no matter what. Outcomes and progress through growth mindset are really important because if you're implementing strategies that are you know, rewarding effort and putting good strategies in place and going to the right people and using your resources to learn, you should be progressing through your skills and you should be achieving some sort of outcome and being able to show your work and how you've improved over time. In the instance of failure, you think about using that failure, you know, people talk about a postmortem or like analyzing like why did that go wrong? Like what did we not see? And how do we use that experience to understand how we approach that type of situation or facts in the future and not have the same outcome? Which, quite frankly, isn't that what happens after every trial we lose at happy hour? I mean, I feel like we immediately start a postmortem on, you know, like, oh, well, there was this bad fact that we didn't want to talk about on Sunday night. But on Friday afternoon, it seems like maybe that was the most important uh, thing to pay attention to. So as far as where growth mindset can be really important as a managerial skill, it breaks down to rewarding the learning and progress that you see and, you know, encouraging your employees that they can learn and grow and create good outcomes, even if it's not today, and encouraging them to seek help and trying new strategies and capitalizing when they have a failure or a setback on how to use that as a way to move forward instead of getting stuck in, oh, I messed that up. I must not be good at this. 
So with that, Elizabeth, what types of things have you run into in working with your team and your group that have kind of stood out to you as barriers or easy ways to work with your staff? Well, I'm really glad that we're talking about this today because no one prepares you, especially as a young lawyer, for taking on management of a team. And it's really difficult. And I think it's something that should be focused on more in law school because, you know, I graduated, I passed the bar and all of a sudden I'm a member of this team and expected to have like a management role. And like, I don't have any real background in doing that. Some of it certainly comes naturally to me, but it's still a difficult thing. And I think it's difficult for all members of the team because especially if you're a paralegal that's working with a young lawyer because we don't necessarily know what we're doing, but we're still in, I mean, I like to think of it as like a team, but we're still in a position that is above you and I can tell you how I want things done, but it can be a really weird dynamic, especially if you're working with someone who isn't used to doing that. That wasn't the case that I had. Uh, I'd already developed a good relationship with the members of my team because I was fortunate enough to clerk here beforehand, but it was still a tricky transition and something that was always really important to me and that I continue to do is not to forget that, you know, we're all people. We all have other things going in our lives outside of work. And it's important to touch base about those things, I think, periodically before you give, you know, the long list of things that need to be done that day. Just checking in. How are you? What's going on? What can I help with? I think that's really important because no one's above any kind of work that needs to be done. Obviously, there are lawyer tasks and there are paralegal tasks, but at the end of the day, we're a member of a team and like we'll all do whatever needs to be done to get it done. So that's something that I've put into place and I think it's served me well, but certainly I've heard from other young lawyers about poor experiences they've had in the workplace with paralegals that might be about the same age as them, maybe a little bit older that aren't necessarily on board with someone that's, you know, 24, 25, telling them what to do. And it certainly causes a lot of conflict and feeling like they only need to listen to maybe the partner on the team and not the younger associate. And those are really tricky situations. And I honestly don't know how to solve them. I can think of one instance that I heard about from a friend where the paralegal kind of missed something and the lawyer caught it, thankfully, and kind of they had to have a conversation about it and it didn't go very well just because it was kind of a deflection of like, well, I don't know how that could have happened, but it was like very obvious how it happened. And personalities just don't jive sometimes. And as a manager, you have to understand that. And we don't all have to get along, but we have to work with each other and we certainly need to respect each other. So I think the biggest thing is respecting each other as team members and communicating in a professional way all the time, which is easier said than done. And that's hard, too, because in that specific situation where you have a new associate with a seasoned paralegal, that associate needs that paralegal's help as well, but is also technically their supervisor by title. This conversation actually makes me think of something you said to me, Erica, back in 2014. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I'm reaching way back in the memory banks for this. But I think it's important for this conversation. And just to give a little bit of context, in 2014, I was a law clerk here. I was still in law school. And at that time, there was a fellow law clerk who was a bit of um, a rebel, I think is the nicest way I can say it. He really did not like following any rules. <laughs> the shorts guy? Is it the shorts guy? It is shorts guy. Oh, okay. And by shorts guy, we mean he showed up to work wearing shorts one time and we all said, why can we see your legs right now? We're in an <laughs> office setting. And he did a couple other things as well that were interesting. I'll, well, I'll leave it interesting. To be clear, 
We have a policy against, at least at that time, yes. we had a policy against wearing shorts. He was aware of the policy and didn't care about the policy. Yes. So it wasn't like he accidentally came in shorts one day and no, this was a purposeful act. Well, yes. expressly told us and our administrator that he didn't care about the policy and then referenced his two graduate degrees in that conversation <laughs> being a reason why he was above the rule. So, I mean, just to give our listeners a flavor of <laughs> this guy. Look, Shorts Guy could be an entire podcast episode <laughs> in and of himself of how not to start a new job. But the context of the story and getting back to the topic is that after Shorts Guy's several antics, I was standing in the kitchen talking to a couple other law clerks and I made a comment. I don't know what he's doing or what he's thinking. We're at the bottom of the totem pole. You don't act like that because I had a very hierarchical view of the law firm. And Erica, you made a comment to me of no, 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 no. There's no totem pole here. No one's better than anyone else. That has nothing to do with shorts guy. But I don't want you thinking that anyone is better or worse than you. And I still remember that. And at the time, I was like, oh, well, I sound like a bit of an asshole <laughs> for making this like fake pyramid, apparently, where I was at the bottom. But that comment stuck with me of that's not the right way to look at a law firm or any office that anyone is at the top or that anyone is at the bottom. We should all be on a level playing field. We have different roles and different responsibilities. And sometimes those responsibilities require delegating tasks and taking on delegated tasks. But at the end of the day, there is no one that is better than anyone else. This topic has actually recently become pretty relevant in my life thinking about, Erica, I, I thought your definition of fixed mindset versus growth mindset was interesting because as some of our listeners may know, I am one of the coaches for the competitive mock trial team at my alma mater. And we recently had tryouts for the next year's team. And as I was evaluating these students who were trying out, we found ourselves noting that person looks like a lawyer. That person already has the goods, what it takes to be a lawyer. And then some people, we were saying the opposite, you know, that sounded very rehearsed. That sounded like a speech. It just, it didn't hit the same way as something a lawyer would do. But then as we really started getting into the weeds and discussing what everyone did good and bad, we suddenly realized that there's nothing that was not teachable. And a lot of them didn't even know perhaps that it was a skill that they were missing because they were in their first year of law school and had never had trial advocacy or had never watched a trial and just didn't have the knowledge or experience to do anything different than what they were doing. That really changed our mindset of how we evaluated the candidates. And it made me think about how I was very grateful for the growth mindset people in my life who have helped me get here because I remember just two years ago when I started working here, I felt like very imposter syndrome. And we had a whole episode about that. But Erica, when you said that fixed mindset was sort of like believing in innate talent, I felt that, you know, maybe I don't have this innate talent. But the growth mindset people around me made me realize that that's not true. Or the things that I didn't know were certainly skills that could be acquired or that I could gain easily and quickly. And one thing that stuck with me was, I think very early on, I was very nervous to do something, a depot maybe, and someone's like, there's nothing that you can do to mess this up so bad that we can't fix it. And that really stuck with me and helped me gain a lot of confidence. And now I would hope to consider myself a growth mindset person just because I know how much having those people around me have helped. 
Yeah. And the thing that's so interesting about what you're talking about, starting out and thinking like, do I have the innate skills to hack it? I mean, you've heard this time and time again, and I've seen it time and time again in our practice. The best litigators, at least, are the ones who understand that they don't have to be anything other than themselves. And that in itself is like kind of a hard task. That takes you a decade to learn to not try to emulate, you know, someone who's been practicing for 40 years and you see them do some impressive thing in the courtroom. You maybe can't do that because you're not a 50-year-old woman who's been practicing this forever and Thanks knows- for the shout out. <laughs> what? What do you mean? But I'm 51. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say you're not that old white-haired man up there arguing that case to close it. But you know what I mean? Like you can't do that because that's not us. So like to figure out how to translate that into fostering all your own skills and talents, which we all do at some point. You know, we all shake off that imposter syndrome and say, I'm going to do this my way because that's the way that the jury understands is most authentic. So I maybe need some clarification. Yes, ma'am. We're talking about management styles. Mm -hmm. And I am very interested in your definition of growth mindset versus fixed mindset because I've never heard of those phrases before. And understanding growth mindset, as you sort of indicated earlier, input for others, collaboration, and then fixed being that talents are innate. I mean, I don't know that I can put myself or really anyone in fully one or the other of those categories. I feel like growth sounds better. I mean, just as a general notion, I'd rather be in the growth versus fixed category. But I do think some talents are innate. Is that bad? I think that whether that's from a personality perspective or you've just talked yourself into this is what I want to do and have focused on it for a long time, maybe that's a hard work versus an innate. I don't know. But I guess I'm struggling with the idea of how does that really translate into management style versus how you practice law? Well, and I think the thing that's important is that it's not one or the other. Okay. There's not a world where like, you know, your management style or your company's culture needs to be one or the other. I think it's more of guiding employees and how to get to the right answer as opposed to governing every little thing they do. Okay. So like the fixed mindset would encourage competition and finger pointing, which finger pointing isn't good, but competition is good too much competition where it's becoming toxic or causing employees to not collaborate, too much of that is a fixed mindset. And in general, I think research shows that you can be more productive in any business setting if your approach is a growth mindset and you're encouraging people to progress and learn skills and improve And not chastising them for every time they mess up saying, like, you're stupid, you don't get this. Or that's what their impression is. And that sort of strikes me as a personality issue as well, right? So you've got someone who, if a mistake is presented to them, there are reactions, hopefully not terribly visceral in that they're condescending or rude. But I wonder if the reaction is, at least internally, How did this happen? How did you let this happen? Because I can remember many times in my career where mistakes happen, y'all, like, I mean, all the time. 
Luckily, most of them can be fixed, maybe take a little extra effort, whatever it is, but most of them can be fixed, but they're annoying nonetheless. A mistake comes to your attention, and I will be first to admit that my first reaction is, well, I mean, how did this happen? Meaning, how did you let this happen, person who is bringing this to my attention? That I have developed over the years the ability to filter that internally. In other words, like think it, but not say it. Because that feels like fixed. I don't know. I'm just kind of populating these categories versus growth, which is, okay, let's talk about how this happened and let's fix it, but then figure out how not to let it happen again. And I think I get there and I can see the utility in that because you're not isolating that person. You're not denigrating that person. You're recognizing that things definitely happen. But unless you want it to happen again or to alienate the person you're talking to, it has to make sense to then follow it up with, okay, how can we fix this going forward? And most importantly, the recognition that as the person, even though it sounds like we have an egalitarian firm here, right, Erica? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 20, I mean, 20, I 14, but... Erica thought that that was certainly Obviously, the case. Obviously, everybody's equal, but let's pretend like that's not exactly the same. And that there are categories of authority or responsibility probably is better. It's my responsibility ultimately. And to recognize that and to say, okay, if there was a mistake on my team, it's my mistake. Mm -hmm. It is my failure to govern. It's my failure to assist or teach. I didn't have a good enough open door policy. I demand too much. Everybody's too busy. But if you don't internalize why those mistakes happen, they will continue to happen. And if you don't react in a way that gives that person the grace of making a mistake and not feeling terrible about it, then you're going to alienate that person. And I would say that relationship is not long lived. Yeah. And I think too, like you talking through that scenario, the initial like reaction that you have of like, how the heck did this happen? Like, you must have been asleep at the wheel or whatever it is. You know, I'm sure it feels like a negative reaction no matter what. The productivity of that part of the reaction, it wouldn't help for growth mindset. Now, that doesn't mean that you say it's okay or like let someone off the hook. I mean, I think that part of implementing growth mindset is acknowledging this is a very big problem. We need to, and immediately focusing on the future. Yeah. So not, this is a big problem. We're going to dwell on it forever. And now I'm always going to think you're a, a dummy. Right. You know, that would be focusing on the past. You're so, dead to me. Yes. <laughs> That's my, literally, that would be my first reaction. Yes. Bad, um, bad reaction. Bad. But that doesn't, <laughs> I also don't think that this is a approach that means everybody should be given umpteenth chances. But it's more like, okay, this is a problem that we need to deal with. This will affect us in negative ways, you know, here, here, and here. Let's start working on solutions going forward and figure out how we learn from this so it doesn't happen in the future. 
Like, you know, was this deadline missed? Why was that? Like, what's the root cause analysis? Right. Was it not calendared? Do we need a different system, you know, to catch those? Things like that. So I think fixed mindset ends up being a little bit old school and a little bit what you see a lot more in more toxic work environments. And I think growth mindset is what, you know, you would kind of recognize as breeding innovation and successful entrepreneurial settings where, you know, you don't set out at the beginning of building a business or building anything new and say, we know how to do this. It'll be successful because we're the best. It says we're going to start down this path and we're going to learn everything we can and we're going to be humble enough to understand that we're still learning. What about the idea of this fixed versus growth in a non-mistake scenario? In other words, you've got folks that work for you. You have to have duties. You have to have delineations about who does what. And it would be wonderful if everyone came in the door and started at one place and went nowhere but up in terms of responsibility and personal growth and their ability to do higher activities. But then you also have folks that come in that are very good at their skill set and maybe don't care about advancing that skill set or maybe are perfectly happy with the skill set they have and they're good at it and they're used to it and it's comfortable and familiar and don't care about the growth part of it. Because I think a workplace has a mixture of those. And I don't know if that's a fixed mindset, because, again, it feels like growth is good, fixed is bad. And I'm not sure I can, and maybe I'm just not understanding it entirely, but I think there are plenty of roles in firms and in corporations and businesses where there are fixed mindset positions without growth. And maybe I'm thinking about growth in the wrong way. I guess I'm thinking about it as upward growth in your skill level and promotion and that kind of thing versus you know, this is what I do every day. This is my job. I'm good at it. I'm happy with it. I don't need to grow. And I guess what I'm advocating for is I'm not sure fixed mindset is bad. Yeah. And I don't think it is either because I think you need the competition and a recognition of fostering the innate talents that you may perceive you have. But I think it's a little bit more Simple than that. So like, here's the cliche from lawyers. You sit there and you're like, oh, well, I went to law school because I couldn't do math, so I wasn't going to be a doctor, you know, or like something comes up in a depot and you're in a depot of, you know, five attorneys and some math question comes up like arithmetic. (laughs) And, and, you know, somebody won't be able to help themselves putting it on the record like, I'm a lawyer. I don't do math. Like, okay. I get it. It's a very common theme. But at the same time, you get handed a white collar financial fraud case where you are set to make quite a bit of money on that case if you are successful. You damn well better believe you're going to figure out out. (laughs) how to be an accountant. (laughs) You know, you will find your resources. You'll do what you need to to learn those skills and get familiar with that part. I should say my husband has an economics degree. And so every time I'm filling out my outline, I'm like, hey, does this question (laughs) make sense or am I going to look stupid? He's like, no, 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 rephrase it this way. I also have an economics degree. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I know. Then how are you bad at math? I'm not an accountant. She's not, but she plays that game when it's helpful. No, you know what it was? I have an international affairs degree, which is a mix of political science, economics, and history. So I probably got economics light. (laughs) So 
Like, yeah, <laughs> that's probably what it was. I probably took the economics for people who aren't super awesome at math. But I think it's that idea that like when you approach something new, you're not going to stop and say, I can't learn this. You're going to say, well, I don't have that talent today, but I know where the resources are. I'm willing to put in the work. I can develop strategies for how I'm going to, you know, supplement where my knowledge is deficient and go forward as opposed to saying, I can't handle this case. I have to refer it to somebody else, which I don't know, (laughs) depending on where you're at, that might just be the right decision. But yeah, I I think it's a mixture of both and nobody can be one or the other. I don't think. Hmm. I was about to say, I think context matters. Sure. So, Amy, you went with the context of, well, what does this particular person envision for their future? And I started thinking about it sort of the other way of what am I seeing for this person? Because along the lines of management style, if I have someone that's working for me, for lack of a better term, on a team, I feel a little bit responsible for their career and where they're going and their trajectory of their future at the firm or wherever they may be. And I think that when you're thinking about what that future may look like, it's a little bit of column A, column B. And what I mean by that is we're talking a lot about when mistakes are made and how do we respond to them. And I'll tell you, I have a little quotes calendar. Every day there's a new quote. I got it as a gift from my paralegal. Shout out to Claudia. (laughs) But one of the little calendar quotes that I actually pinned in my office, it's the only one I've saved so far and we're almost to April. It's a quote by Sheryl Sandberg and it says, trying to do it all and expecting it all can be done exactly right is a recipe for disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I keep that up in my office because I, like everyone else in this room, am a perfectionist and it's something I've always struggled with and I have a really hard time forgiving myself when I make a mistake. But it's something that I'm working on and I also want to make sure though that I am able to quote unquote forgive people if they make a mistake. And so when I think about growth mindset, I say, okay, look, an error happened. Let's figure out what happened, why it happened, and how we can make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. But at the same time, if there are such serious errors or a series of errors that keep occurring, that might be an indication that that person's just not a fit for the job. And that's a little bit of fixed mindset of we've given you an opportunity. I'm really sorry, but it's just not going to work out. And I think that that's okay to tell someone like maybe this isn't the role for you and maybe you should find something else that is more in line with whatever your particular skill sets are. And so I think that that's important to think about when you are managing a team that it's not going to be an all or nothing. It's all growth or it's all fixed. It's a combination of the two. Yeah. And the other thing, too, so I started off this pod with a story about how I was awesome once. (laughs) And let me bring that back to I'm a recovering micromanager. I have been known to pile on, probably still do a little bit. I am a recovering passive aggressive person. (laughs) And so, you know, some of this is self-talk, right? Like when thinking about growth mindset and saying, you know, like expect failure when you see it, when you do it, you know, try to fail small instead of big, you know, use that and go forward. That is all my self-talk that has tried to kind of reform the past, you know, perfectionist, control freak, micromanager. So I think that 
just like going through our careers, I think management style ends up being a practice and you learn, you know, especially working with different types of people and different personalities, what works. But at the same time, I think that it's very important to treat yourself with the same grace and, you know, same expectations that you do your staff and people that you're managing. And whether that means you know, you have your expectations for yourself and your staff are way overblown. And that's not fair to yourself or your staff. And in the opposite direction, if, you know, your expectations are too low or you get too down on yourself, but, you know, you're a cheerleader for your staff, keep in mind, like, you know, your self-talk to yourself should be that way too. So I think that's where, like, my own, like, self-care was, like, learning that failures, like, actually can be a really good thing. And like, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad, it's going to happen. And kind of the delusion of like, I'm not a person who fails. I mean, that's something that it's hard to get over and like feeling, you know, like everything has to be perfect. So in kind of trying to get over that hump, if you will, this kind of growth mindset ideas and, you know, how to go forward when you do meet failure or mistake or, you know, even in managing other people, I think kind of comes into that kind of knowledge base. I'm curious what, because like we've talked about lots of lawyers, very type A, very much perfectionist. I'm curious what our advice would be for people who find themselves working for slash with lawyers who are perfectionists and do not accept mistakes being made by members of their team. I just think that that will sometimes catch up with them, right? Because I just don't think that that is sustainable long term. Well, and I also think that like the meticulousness and the organization strategies and kind of the I don't want to say multitasking, but the way your brain kind of monitors and keeps everything kind of swimming around and keeping tabs on everything, that part of like being a perfectionist can really be utilized and be a really big asset to your practice. So I think there's stuff to really harness and apply to your practice, you know, if you identify as type A or someone has, you know, kind of put you in this box. And those kinds of things are really good. <laughs> you could like preserve and keep those things going. But I agree. I mean, if you're someone who, you know, just won't give anyone an inch, it's just you're going to implode. This feels very millennial of me to say, but it's like keep tabs of the things that you don't like and maybe working for another person and keep those in mind for how you want to change that about yourself when you're managing other people, because most likely that person working for someone else will not be in that role forever. Eventually, they'll take on a team under them and they can use what they've learned about what they didn't like and try and implement something different for the future. Yeah, I think it's about communication and expectations. If you're working for someone or if you are that someone and there are conflicts, there are issues between the two of you, I don't know. It just feels like most things can be solved with a little bit of communication and setting appropriate expectations. So if you're the one who is working for the perfectionist, hopefully it could help to say, here's what I plan to do, what I plan to get done. If it's not right, can you tell me? Can we talk this out? At least there's an earnestness about it. And just be open to the idea that you can make some mistakes or might even say, you know, look, I'm not perfect at this. I'm learning. Can you be patient with me and just point out to that person? Maybe that would help. But I think it's about communication and expectation. 
Amy, I agree completely. And that is a perfect way to wrap up our conversation on growth mindset versus fixed mindset versus your managerial styles. So thank you for joining us on another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. We release our episodes on Wednesday. If you have any questions, email us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And we hope to see you next time. Thanks. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. At The Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, Feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.